Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Ken Page is a native St. Louis performer whose talent has led to prominent roles on Broadway and Hollywood films and on television. His Broadway credits include Cats, Wiz, and Ain't Misbehavin'. Ken Page was honored last night with the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Arts and Education Council. The event crossed entertainment generational lines. Among those performing was Kennedy Holmes, the St. Louis teenager who was a recent finalist on NBC's The Voice. She's 50 years his junior, though they performed together at the Muni in 2016. She came up in my conversation with Page on Friday, but only after my congratulations to him. Well, thank you. Thank you. I've been very fortunate, I think. And now that I'm at this particular juncture, I can afford, if you will, to look back and really tally. And I think I've done okay. When you look back, what do you see? What are the first things you see? Me at five, doing a voice in a puppet show. (laughs) How I started. I really do. I mean, because you think about the insignificant little moments that you don't really consider at the time. Obviously, at five, I wasn't thinking anything. But it set me on the path that I'm on. And then a few more road marks down the way that kind of kept me uh, moving in the direction that I've been in for the last 50 years, I want to say. Do you think you had the feeling at five in some manner or form that this is what you wanted to do? You wanted to be in front of an audience? I think I, I was never afraid to be in front of people. And I was a very, very shy child, so it was definitely a, a, a heads up on where I was headed because I would get in front of people and I wasn't shy, but off with just every day, I was very shy. When did the time come when you knew this is where you were going to go? Six years old. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't take long. Didn't take Didn't long. Know. Probably, I would say around fourth or fifth grade. Yeah, I had a, my cousin... Um, participated in the Bellarmine Speech League, and I don't know if that's still around, but we did it. I did it as well later. And I would go to some of the um, tournaments with him. Mm -hmm. And then when I started doing it around 7th, 8th grade, I liked the process, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think that's when I started to think about it seriously. Because you go to high school, and then the decisions were made, well, what school do you go to? Because do they have a music and drama program? So that's your next step. And there was a lot of uh, brouhaha at the time about myself and my best friend, Luther Clark, God rest him, where we would go because we had already shown an aptitude in in singing, music, drama, whatever. And we did um, two summers of prep for St. Louis University High School, which was, I'd say, pretty much academic compared to having a school with music and theater. They did plays, but they only did plays at the time. Anyway, long story short, I ended up going to Bishop DeBerg, but at the time, uh, the city was very divided as far as districts. And, uh, you know, you had had to go to the school in your district, particularly with the Catholic schools. Mm -hmm. And DeBerg, I lived in downtown St. Louis at the time, and DeBerg was all the way on the south side, so it was like, no. And my dear, dear friend, uh, Lois Zitzman, who at the time was Sister Ruth Cecilia, fought for us to get into DeBerg. She Mm -hmm. says, how can you expect... Uh, these young people who are outside of the districts, how can you expect them to do well or better if they don't even have the opportunity to begin with? And they let us in, and that broke the door open for everybody following us, which was great. Well, obviously, you were serious about it at that point. I was. When, when did you say, okay, I'm going professional with this? 
When I started auditioning for the Muni, and that was about, uh, I think I must have been 16 or something like that, with my voice still developing. And um, <clears throat> I knew there was such a thing because I'd been for the first time when I was about 11. I saw Robert Horton in Oklahoma on a real horse. And I was yeah. <laughs> thinking, wow, that's great. But I had started to gravitate more seriously. You know, in high school, of course, I did plays and the musicals. The musicals, not really plays. So by the time I auditioned for the Muni, I was pretty set on what I wanted to do. The, the Muni story has really caught my eye because I can't imagine there are many people, if any, who have played the Muni 35 times. It's really true, and I can't believe it myself. Many of the uh, name uh, performers in the country today have performed there, yeah. and all of them seem to really like it. And my question would be, you're working in front of a lot of people, no problem for people in your business, but that stage is so big that it's got to be difficult to learn how to move around on something that big. Well, you know, you take into consideration, in my case, that that's where I started. Mm -hmm. I was 18 in the chorus there for two seasons. It must have looked even bigger to you. It looked much bigger then. <laughs> but you learn, or I should say I learned initially there. So for me, I already knew how to do it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, I remember doing something at the Hollywood Bowl um, a couple of years, two, three years ago, and they were a little concerned, you know. They were saying, well, you have to understand the bowl is a large stage <laughs> and you've got to really project. And I said, I think I got this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the bowl is bigger than the Muni, but it's the same idea. And it's interesting, uh, I think anybody would say who goes there every summer, that the Muni as large as it is on both sides of the footlight, it plays more intimately. Mm -hmm. There are certain things you have to do um, to make sure your performance gets across from the stage. You know, it's always good to do some movement when you're speaking so they know who they're looking at mm -hmm. from the middle of the house to the free seats. Little things like that. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's sort of natural to play the Muni. And then I have a big mouth and I'm a big person, <laughs> so it helps. <laughs> well, you've performed uh, in, in so many different venues uh, all over the world, actually. Yes. And yet you're a St. Louis guy and uh, you continue to stay in St. Louis, live in St. Louis. Why? Well, um, I was away 40 years or more, you know, um, and I moved back nine years ago now. Mm -hmm. uh, first reason was my relatives, my parents and, and, and so forth, are getting older, so I wanted to be closer to them. And, you know, when you're in the business as long as I've been, you miss a lot of births, you miss a lot of weddings. Mm -hmm. Sadly, you miss a lot of funerals. And for me, I was never disconnected from my family. A lot of people, when they go into the business, just by the turn of events, they get a little more distance from where they started. Than, but I never was. I mean, I brought everybody to New York for shows and so on and so forth. So I began to really feel like I was missing the evolution of my own family. Mm -hmm. Babies were born whom I hadn't even seen yet and this sort of thing. Dear relatives passed away, and I couldn't go to the funerals because I was working. And I thought, okay, that's been how many years I've devoted to that as the first priority, which you sort of have to do, you know. People think it's selfish, but if you don't do that, you don't get ahead. I get it. Yeah. And when I thought about moving back here, a number of things came into a confluence. And I thought, well, you know what? I think I'll try it. If it doesn't work, you know, I can always go back where I've come from, you know. Uh, but so far, it's been great. You know, I've been able to do a lot of things here. And I go in and out of here. And that was part of it for me as well. I think we reached a technological age where as long as you show up, they don't care where you came from, you know. And uh, because of all the things with the social media, you can stay in touch with everybody daily, as I do. Tell me about your relationship with Kennedy Holmes. Uh, I think St. Louis's next big star. 
Well, you know, I can't say honestly that we have a relationship because mm-hmm. when I, you know, she was in the children's course. I mean, I would see her and wave and mm-hmm. so forth. And so forth. But I can't tell you how proud I am of her. Mm-hmm. Just on a level of coming from St. Louis, doing what she's doing, starting at the mm-hmm. Muni, obviously being uh, African-American and in the theater from St. Louis is mm-hmm. a very specific thing. And watching her poise and her maturity and um, never mind her talent on The Voice was glorious for me. It really was. I just thought, oh, God, she's going to go so far. And she has, like most people who come from St. Louis, and there are many, 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 many people who Mm -hmm. have, she has rock-solid training. And that's what really can make the difference when you get out there. Just incredible. She's been on this program. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we've seen her on television. Right. And, and as you indicate, the poise and the maturity for someone who's 13 years old when that started, just now yeah, 14. Exactly. Uh, just remarkable to it's watch. Remarkable. It's also a great testament to her family yeah. and her parents because you don't, even if you're self-possessed and you have all this sort of natural gift and so forth, even with confidence, you don't get where she is the way she is unless you have people giving you a very clear guidance. And clearly her parents are those people, you know. What does she have to watch for from this point on? She came in fourth on The Voice. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were disappointed with that. But I'm sure you would agree that that ain't bad, and you can, go, you can certainly move on even though well, you didn't you know, win. Absolutely. It's not bad, and I mm. think it was serendipitous even that Jennifer Hudson was her host or co- coach uh, because she's a standing example. I mean, she was cut from American Idol, and look, she has an Oscar. She has a Grammy. She has a this, she has a that. She's on The Voice helping other people. So I think it, it said to her all along from very beginning, Kennedy I'm speaking of, you, whether you win this or not, it has nothing to do with where you're headed. All it really does is gives you a platform in front of millions of people for however many weeks it's on. And from there, hopefully, you can parlay that into the next moves you want to make. Uh, but Jennifer was a standing example. So I think when it got to the end and she didn't win, I think there was nothing to say except this is just a stop along the way. You know, How, how tough do you have to be to survive in, in this show business world today? Extremely. And I I emphasize today. I think you've always had to be um, certainly uh, have a tough skin. You know, you hear 900 no's to every 10 yeses. You know, those are good odds even. But I think um, today it's particularly difficult because there's so much involvement, I won't say interference, from the social media world as to what someone's career can be or looks like or is judged to be. And I think for young people, I mean, I I look at them and try to take a lesson in the sense because they approach it very much like a business. When I came through, it was an art form. Mm -hmm. We approached it that way. The business was the unnecessary necessary. Now, I think you you have to be really savvy. I mean, there was no such word as brand, you know, Mm -hmm. when I started out. Mm -hmm. And now, if you're not aware of that, you're cutting yourself off to about 50% of what your career can be because that's part of it. I don't necessarily agree with it because I think it sets some people in the wrong direction. They don't use nearly as much uh, um, devotion to what they do as they do to how it's going to affect people. And I think if you do it well and right, it will affect people anyway. But I know that's an idea from another time in a sense because now you can stand up and sing 55 wonderful notes, but if nobody hears it, 
doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. So that would lead me to talking about the idea of you know Broadway. When I went there, it was a it was an end in itself. You know, now it honestly is more of a means to another end, which is different. Could you ever imagined uh, yourself growing up in Car Square, being on Broadway one day? I did imagine it. <laughs> I did imagine. Of course, I, that's why you got that's there. That's where I got there. That's yeah, how yeah. I got there. I was telling somebody recently <laughs> that I read a book um, in college. My Second year, a book called Psycho Cybernetics, and I don't know if it's even still around. And I don't, you know, I didn't had no idea what it was connected to. I just knew that it was about the power of positive thinking. And I realized when I read it that I had been doing that all along: creative visualization, power, positive thinking, all those sorts of things. And I had been doing it not knowing there was an actual thing that was those things, mm-hmm. you know. I'm going to have to take a break momentarily. But while we're in this part of the discussion, so g- going back to Kennedy Holmes, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned the fact she's had great guidance and great parenting and been brought up in the right way. What advice would you give her ah. as she embarks on her career? The first thing I think I would say, spe- specifically at this particular time, is, um, and I would say this to her parents as well, cautiously grab the gold ring because it doesn't always come around again. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this idea that she's young, it'll happen later, don't worry about it. That isn't quite the way it really works most of the time. If the invitation is there and the door has opened, go in because we know you can always supplement school, you can do a lot of things as you move along, but it's hard to get that opportunity after the fact, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, at the same time, uh, And I don't think this is something I would have to say to her because she has, like I said, wonderful parents who are right there. She's not out there on her own. And I think they know while she's talented and poised and confident, she's still 14 years old. And there's some things you just don't know at 14. Um, uh, But I would love to, to, to say to her one thing in particular. Don't ever change who you are for anyone. If it got you this far, it'll keep you there and it'll take you the rest of the way. Because that's the first thing that happens a lot of times. People say, well, you got to be this or you got to be that. Or, you got to mm-hmm. do this way. You got to do that way. You can't sing this way. You got to sing that way. And all I think that really matters is what you want to do, whether it's successful or not. If you say, look, I sing this way. This is the way I want to sing. If people accept me this way, great. If they don't, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, hamburgers and hot dogs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's um, important. And I knew I, f- I felt that way even at my young age. And I, you know, I don't know why, but I just knew that I needed to be who I was and not try to be something else. And I certainly got a lot of people saying, you should lose 9,000 pounds. You should do this. You should do that. You're too light. You're too dark. You're too this. You're too that. You speak too well. You don't speak well. All those sort of things. And I remember thinking with the help of mentors, this is what I'm offering you. And if you like it, buy it. If you don't like it, somebody else will like it. The public can pick up pretty quickly on a lack of authenticity. I, I, I think I, always. I think if you want to be the real article as far as being an artistic person in whatever you do, uh, that's the way to go. And I think the audience always picks up on that. We're talking with Ken Page, who is the most recent recipient of a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Arts and Education Council in St. Louis here. That uh, happened last night. He's still basking in the glow and will for a long time, I'm sure. Well, for the rest of my life, you know. I mean, it's one thing to get. I've been fortunate enough to receive awards elsewhere and wherever. But to get this here means a particular thing, you know. It's not... um, the same as getting something in New York or Los Angeles. When you're at home, 
you really um, it, it, it resonates in the right way. And you are home, Kim Page. We'll be back in just a moment to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Back now with Ken Page, who last night was awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Arts and Education Council here in St. Louis. We're talking about his career, and a great career it has been and will continue to be, I am sure. You're not planning on slowing down, are you? No. (laughs) (laughs) I always quote Tina Turner, who said, people ask me all the time when I'm going to slow down, and I tell them I'm just getting started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, why? You know, I mean, especially in my business. I mean, obviously, you have to be realistic about what's there for you to do, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, But fortunately, I've been playing older characters since I was in high school. My good friend Greg Schweitzer uh, and I joke about it. I said, now I don't have to put any gray in my hair. I can actually just walk out there and I'm good. Um, So, no, I don't think I'll retire. I think I I, I would probably like to shift more towards my directing and writing, uh, which I've fortunately been able to make some headway with. Because, you know, just physically, eight shows a week for Broadway is a lot. You know, you you do it when you're young because you don't think anything of it. It's just Mm -hmm. what you do. But when you reach down on my end of the stick, you have to consider how you do eight shows a week. You practically have to go into a monastery. You know, for all the things that you've done and for all the accolades you've had, when I read about you and was reading about you before you're coming in here today, Mm. they were saying that you are best known for Oogie Boogie. (laughs) Now, come on. (laughs) Is that how you want to be best known? Well, look, I'll take it, you know. I mean, what are you going to do? It's an interesting thing. You know, when I think about all the different things I've done in different areas, uh, they've never come to a confluence. It's always sort of like people know me from this or they know me from that. And they go, oh, you mean you were on Broadway? I'm like, uh, yeah. Uh, people in the theater didn't know I'd done the voice of Oogie Boogie, you know. But it's been proven to me that it is what I'm most well known for, which is, I mean, it's a little odd because as a performer, you want people to know your face and so on and so forth. But it also has a blessing in it because as long as I can get up and go out there. I mean, we've been doing concerts, live concerts to the film for the last four years now. We've done three at the Hollywood Bowl, sold out, and we did one at the Barclays Center a couple of years ago. And this uh, coming uh, winter, we're doing a, a little bit of a tour uh, for in Glasgow, Scotland, and uh, London, Wembley, and in Dublin. So, I mean, it's getting bigger. That's the thing that's so bizarre about it. It doesn't get smaller because generation after generation is being introduced to the film. So it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. We, we can listen to just a little bit of it to give folks a sense of what you sound like in this, <laughs> sound like in this animated film. So let's hear a few seconds of that and we'll come back and talk. Well, 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 what have we here? Santa Claus, huh? Ooh, I'm really scared. So you're the one everybody's talking about. <laughs> you're joking. You're joking. I can't believe my eyes. You're joking me. You gotta be. This can't be the right guy. He's ancient. He's ugly. I don't know which is worse. I might just split a seam now if I don't die laughing first. 
That is our guest, Ken Page, as Oogie Boogie in the film The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, boo. Boo. <laughs> oh, I'm scared. I'm scared. How did that all come about? You know, it's one of those things that, you know, you hear the story later and it becomes a showbiz tale. They were looking for someone who had a Cab Calloway-esque approach or could do it and also somebody who had the humor of like Fats Waller. You know, long story short, I went to San Francisco and we recorded everything there. And it's one of those things where, you know, the movie was not a huge hit when it came out. It did well enough. Mm -hmm. But it's all, as people might know, it's in stop action, which people don't even really do anymore because now they can do so much with digitally. But it's, uh, it's, again, one of those art forms that is really specific in particular. And I think that's why the film stands up to today. For me... Um, you know, I remember going and they asked me, they said, well, what, what would be your take on The Voice? What do you think? I said, well, obviously the music is Cap Calloway-esque and I know that's what you're looking for. So, of course, that's what I And they said, well, the speaking voice. Because I think I, I was under the understanding that I was just going to sing at first. I said, well, look, to me, it's, it's, a, it's sort of a cross between Bert Lahr in The Wizard of Oz, you know. Oh, I do believe in ghosts. I do, I do, I do believe in ghosts. And the voice of the demon and The Exorcist, the amazing work of, of Mercedes McCambridge, oh, great yeah. actress. And um, they said, well, can you do it? I said, I've been waiting for you guys. <laughs> what a lovely day for an exorcism. <laughs> they said, oh, wow. Okay, that'll do. I think I scared them, frankly. But I was, I was as weird as Danny and Tim Burton. So that was kind of how we uh, meshed him together and so on and so forth. But, you know, how often does something like that come along? And it's purely happenstance. You get the movie. That's great luck. But for it to continue and grow and become such a cult, I think it's beyond cult now. It's into classic. Well, it's 25, almost 25 it years is. old, isn't This it? year was yeah. our 25th year, and that's what they're celebrating in the coming, upcoming tour UK is the 25th anniversary, you know. What was your first Broadway? Was it, uh, was it Wiz or was it Cats? Was guys it, and Dolls. Guys, oh, Guys, you were yeah. the black version of Guys and that's Dolls. Right. You that's played right. nicely, nicely. Exactly. People exactly. said, sit down, sit That's down, right. you're rocking the boat. That's right. Yeah. With a wonderful gospel ending, our production. Uh, yeah, that was my first show. Um, and I look back, that's a long time ago now, isn't yeah. it? What, what do you make of what Lin-Manuel Miranda oh. has done with Hamilton and the fact that he has the mixed-race cast mm -hmm. and that it is so hugely, hugely popular? Where is this going to take us, do you think, uh, on the stage? Well, I think, first of all, the fact that he wrote it isn't a Amazing thing. So we'll just say that first, you know. Uh, I think casting it the way he did not only signified that, look, we're all in America. So if we want to represent what America was, it's time that we just let everybody be those people. Yeah. Why not, right? Uh, and I think the success of it proved to everybody that everyone can handle that. You, there's no excuse for saying, well, mm -hmm. I can't, we don't, we're not. Look, if you can look at wonderful Christopher Jackson, who was here at the Muni as um, – uh, in uh, Dreamgirls, hmm. as George Washington, and it can be, never mind Lin-Manuel, as, you know, yeah. as Alexander Hamilton, as George Washington, then we've come a long way, and there's no, there's no point or sense in going backward. You know, I will say, I always say, if race is the, is the center of the story, then you have to kind of deal with it otherwise, mm -hmm. unless you're really going to be specifically um, uh, uh, pointed in the direction of it. You know, it plays a part in it, so you have to kind of deal with that in most cases. But why not? I mean, somebody just had a, con a young, wonderful actor named um, 
oh God, Chris Dante White just went into uh, My Fair Lady as mm-hmm. Freddie Einsford Hill. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just so, they're all like my children. You know, I'm so proud of them for doing it because that's per- basically what my career has been. I pretty much crossed the color line in a lot of things I've done. And not that that was by aim, but that just seemed to be the way it worked out. I remember when I uh, got cast in Cats, everyone expected, certainly, a Caucasian gentleman would be doing the role. Mm -hmm. The British have a different sensibility a bit at that time especially. And I think they just picked the person that they thought was best able to do the Mm -hmm. part. It wasn't first you must be white and then we'll see. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of Mm – I got – a bit of pushback about it. It was sort of surprising from both sides because everything I'd done up to then were all black productions, Guys and Dolls, The Wiz, Ain't Misbehaving. And then all of a sudden I was going into this this sort of raceless kind of thing. And I thought, well, first of all, we're cats, so there's that. To be yeah. And then there was this feeling that I kind of left my own tribe, if you will, behind. And then on the other side, there were people saying, well, how can he and why should he and why didn't I? And... Um, you know, as Trevor Nunn said to me, he says, look, I'm aware. You know, he's very soft-spoken. He says, I'm aware of the ideas that are floating about, about your casting. And he explained to me why and what it was about. He says, we are not concerned about that. It's about your energy and your spirit. And uh, Jillian, my late dear, dear Jillian Lynn, said to me, she says, darling, whoever had the heart and the spirit was the man who was going to get the part. And we simply were not interested in anything else. So it made me feel great. And when they recasted me again in the uh, filmed video, I have to be careful now there's going to be a film, uh, it proved to me again that whatever I had was what they wanted, you know. And I think that's, that's the case in general. And with Hamilton, I do believe he broke a barrier down uh, it still comes up, you know. It's not going to go away overnight. But I think he's proved by having a mi- – and it is a mixed company. It is not all black. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people are Latino, which is not really talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. And there there are Caucasian white actors in the show as well in terms of the ensemble. But that's what it is. And I think it, it really paved a road for other things of that nature, whether it's old revivals or new shows. And I hope it's new shows, you know, but – do you think it signals that we're changing as a society? I think it signals that there are those who want to, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, when something as deeply rooted as racism is in this country, and we all know that whether we like it or not, it's not something that you can just change overnight. I think it's – look, I grew up in, you know, the 50s, 60s, late 50s, 60s, 70s. So I've seen a lot of change, mm-hmm. you know. I always say uh, my parent generations were the one who marched – they went out. They sat at the counters and so mm-hmm. forth. My generation was the one who got to walk through the doors and go in, but still you were the first one in the room. Yeah. That was a very interesting experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember doing Guys and Dolls, point and case, um, and a man came up to me. It was later on when I was doing it for some sort of benefit and everything, and he was very irate. He said, that's Stubby K's role. Mm-hmm. I said, well, yeah, he originated it, and there's nothing, you know. But I realized that he just didn't like the fact that I was even doing it. Mm. But the fact that I had done it at that point signaled, like you're saying about Hamilton, that it could be done, and on you go from there, you yeah. know. The journey of a thousand miles begins with those but early step. steps. That's, yeah. that's very, very true. Well, we're so glad to hear that you're not slowing down. No, and that things not are going yet. well. And uh, we want to 
say goodbye and thank you once again for being with us and congratulations once again for your wonderful honor last night. Well, I, thank you. Thank you very much. And I would like to say, you know, my directing career has, has taken off and, and I've been doing a lot of things in that direction that I've just directed a production called Love Linda which is playing at the Marcel. It's with Max and Louie Productions. And it's the life of Cole Porter's wife, Linda Porter. They had a very unusual relationship. And um, it's a beautiful show. It has all Cole Porter music. And the wonderful Debbie Lennon is playing uh, uh, Mrs. Porter. So go see that. And that's what I'm doing right now. You can't miss with Cole Porter's music. You cannot miss with Cole Porter's And with Ken Page directing, right? Well, we hope so. (laughs) Once again, thank you, Ken. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Tom. That's entertainer Ken Page, last night's recipient of the Arts and Education Council's Lifetime Achievement Award. As mentioned, he is currently directing a local production, Love, Linda, about the wife of composer Cole Porter, showing at the Marcel Theater. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.